Thank you. You may be seated, but keep your Bibles open if you would to that place. We're going to look at Exodus chapter 8. We'll begin with verse 1 in just a moment, so if you will, uh, stay there. My prayer is that the Lord would help us not be distracted, but to pay attention to His Word and open our eyes that we can behold wonderful things from it. And uh, it is a pleasure to be here today, and you've heard a lengthy reading somewhat from Exodus, but you're probably familiar with the story about how uh, these things occurred, but they lead up to this second plague in uh, the book of Exodus chapter 8. Years ago, when I was a, a teenager, probably about junior high school age, I, I came home one day, and there was a box in my uh, house, and uh, not, not real large, but it, it had holes in it, and uh, it, it moved, <laughs> and uh, you know, little jiggles, and it, there, was no, there was noise coming from it. And um, I don't know exactly how, I, I honestly do not remember exactly how the box got open, but it, it got open. I know my brother was there, but, uh, <laughs> but I was there too. And uh, it was full of frogs, live frogs, and not, not little toads, but I mean big frogs. And uh, they were to be dissected the next day in my father's science class that he was going to teach at the local university. And, uh, you know, when you open a box of frogs, they, they don't tend to just sit there. <laughs> um, I only remember a couple escaping. Uh, one was captured pretty quick. The other one was more of a challenge. And uh, without going into every detail of our hunt, uh, let me say this. Mothers do not appreciate frogs on the loose in their house. Uh, they don't appreciate them under their beds either. And uh, much less, uh, which was fortunate enough not to be our case, much less in the bed. But, you know, 3,400 years ago in Egypt, they had a, a much bigger problem than I had. I mean, they had thousands. Uh, th I don't know how many, but it was a plague of them. Now, you think about a plague of frogs, and you could kind of think this is a little funny, but the more you think about it, I mean, that would be uh, very unpleasant to have frogs in your bed, in your bedroom, even in the kitchen. And that's the type of thing we're going to read here in just a second that's going to come to the Egyptians. See, God had heard the cries of his people. We read uh, some of that. Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 and 8 tell us that God had heard the affliction of his people that were in the cries. He had seen that affliction. He had heard their cries. And so he sets in motion a plan to deliver his people from Egyptian bondage and bring them into the promised land. There are some purposes for uh, how he's going to do that. These acts of judgment, you may have heard as Dr. Erickson read, uh, talked about the judgment, the judgment, the judgment. There are acts of judgment that God's going to perform upon these people and there are purposes for them. One of the purposes is to let his own people know who he is. Do you remember the passage a moment ago? God said, they've, they've known me as almighty, but they've not known my name, the Lord. They've not known my, known my name, Jehovah. And so verses uh, 5 through 8 of chapter 6 tell us that God wants his people to know that he's heard their cry, that he's seen their affliction. And that he's going to keep his covenant with them. He also wants them to know his name. 
that I am the Lord. I am, as many versions will say, Jehovah. He wants them, he wants his own people to know that he has a plan to redeem them through acts of judgment. He also wants them to know that he's going to take them to be his own people. And that he's going to deliver them and he's going to bring them to the land of Abraham. So through these acts of judgment, God wants his own people to know some things. He also wants, through these acts of judgment, for the Egyptians to know some things. In chapter 7, verses 4 to 5, as, uh, as we read, I think, just a moment ago, where it says, Pharaoh would not hearken unto the Lord that I may lay my hand upon Egypt and bring forth mine armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And so these judgments are going to let God's own people know that he's the Lord and that he's capable of fulfilling his covenant promises. But he's also going to let the Egyptians know, I am the Lord. Now, another it all it all encompasses here, but chapter twelve, verse twelve, it's a passage we've not looked at yet. But twelve twelve, this is after the plagues. I mean we're at the last and final plague of the death of the firstborn. And God says, I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. So what God is doing here with these judgments is trying to show, he is showing his people who he is. He's showing the Egyptians who he is. And part of that is to show that he is above everything that someone might call a God. I mean, he's above it all. And the different gods, and Dr. Helwig a few years ago did a chapel service for us that was excellent on going through the different plagues and how they very well seem to... uh, address different Egyptian gods. This is not just something you can find in biblical scholarship, but even in secular uh, writings about the Egyptian gods is that these plagues, they had gods for these things. There was a goddess, I'm not sure I can pronounce her name correctly, uh, Hecht uh, or Hekit. What is it? Hecht. Okay, so Hecht is a goddess who has a woman's body and a frog's head. And apparently some of the other gods had frogs' heads. Frogs were sacred to the Egyptians. Hecht was the god of childbirth. And so Hecht was supposed to be there with women as they delivered uh, children and to keep them safe and so forth. And that, that was the god Hecht. And being with a frog's head, uh, frogs were sacred and God is going to confront Hecht directly through this plague. The other gods included the god of the Nile. And when the Egyptians heard frogs generally croaking, that was a sign of God's, their gods' blessings upon them. Annually, the Nile River would flood. And then it would recede. And when it had receded, it left nutrients on the soil that helped there be a good crop. Apparently, that's, that's what would happen. As the water receded, of course, it would leave pools and, 
and streams with extra water in them. And frogs would, would get in those things and, and, uh, and do what frogs do. And as they would croak, farmers would hear that and say, you know what? The gods have blessed us. The frogs are croaking. The water has come. It's placed nutrients on the, the, the soil. We're going to have a good harvest and so forth. And so that was an encouragement to them that the gods were blessing them. Frogs were sacred. According to some researchers, to kill a frog meant you received the death penalty. That's how sacred they, they were, according to some researchers. Let's take a look at Exodus 8, verse 1. The Lord spake unto Moses, Go unto Pharaoh, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. And if thou refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all thy borders with frogs. And the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into thine house, into thy bedchamber, and upon thy bed. And into the house of thy servants, and upon thy people, and into thine ovens, and into thy kneading troughs. In other words, your bowls. So the frogs are going to get intimate <laughs> with, uh, with people. The frogs shall come up both on thee. Not only going to be in bowls and on my bed, but they're going to get on me. They're going to be on thee and upon thy people and upon all thy servants. And the Lord said unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Stretch forth thine hand with thy rod over the streams, over the rivers, and over the ponds, and cause frogs to come up uh, upon the land of Egypt. Well, in verse 6, Aaron stretched out his hand, and over the waters of Egypt, the frogs came up, covered the land of Egypt, and the magicians did so with their enchantments, brought up frogs upon the land of Egypt. You know, you got to wonder, uh, why would they do that? And I, I think the reason was to show that they're as powerful uh, with their gods as Moses is with his God. Uh, of course, it creates a problem. I mean, why would you multiply the problem? They did. And, um, you know, humans have a tendency... To create problems they cannot solve. And such is the case here. These magicians with their enchantments, they multiply the plague, but they're not able to solve that problem. Verse uh, 8, then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron. Now, the scripture does not tell us that Pharaoh had called for the magicians and sought their help. You're pretty sure he did. It just doesn't say it here. But what he does do in a time of crisis. Now, I don't know how to describe this, but if there were thousands of frogs, not only are they just not something you'd want to want to touch or have jump on you in the night or crawl up in your bed at night, but uh, they, they croak, you know? And you can just imagine the, the, the loud croaking of these frogs in addition to just their being where you would step on them and so forth it's a plague it's a pestilence these frogs considered sacred considered signs of God's blessings uh, upon the Egyptians are a pestilence 
And so finally, in the midst of this crisis, in verse 8, Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron. I think this is very interesting. This is what began to get my attention toward this passage, is here he's calling for God's men. He's calling for God's people for help during this time of crisis. And he says, uh, entreat the Lord. Entreat means to implore, to beg. It's, a, it's an earnest uh, cry, even at times used as an act of worship, uh, burning incense to the Lord. I mean, here, basically, Pharaoh is saying, look, do whatever you got to do here to the Lord. Now, do you remember a moment ago we just heard where when Moses and Aaron first approach Pharaoh that the Lord wants us to go and worship him? He says, look, who's this Lord? I don't know him. And besides that, I'm not letting you go. And that's his whole attitude is he doesn't know the Lord and he's not going to do what the Lord says. But now when there's a crisis, he's finally turning to the Lord's men and to the Lord himself. Now, that's a good thing. I think we could say in times of crisis, it'd be good to turn to God's people for help and turn to the Lord for help. So to this point, we might say, follow the example. We might say, follow the example of Pharaoh. But he goes on to say this, that pray, you know, entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me. Just, just, just to have them leave, take them away, stop the flow. It's like turn off the water faucet so that it just stops. Take them away. Take them away from me. Take them away from my people. And I will let the people, in other words, I will let the Hebrews go that they may do sacrifice unto the Lord. You ever been or seen, you know, there are numerous stories about people making great promises to God in times of crisis. And here you see Pharaoh, I'll, I'll, I'll do what the Lord wants if you'll just take these away. Now Moses responds in verse 9, Moses said unto Pharaoh, glory over me. This is an interesting little phrase. What's he talking about here? Probably he's just, it's somewhat of a, a, an etiquette to say just, you know, giving him a little respect or honor in some way. You tell me, Pharaoh. And he may have been sarcastic with that, I don't know. <laughs> but glory over me. When shall I entreat for thee? When shall I plead for thee, for thy servants and thy people to destroy the frogs from thee and thy houses? And what's interesting, it depends on the version you read. You may not always catch this. Pharaoh says, plead for God to take them away. And Moses says, when do you want me to pray for you that God destroys these frogs? He kills these frogs. Now you realize the, it, it, what here? Think about the, the intensity of this. Pharaoh and all his people worship frogs. But they become a pestilence. And just take them away. And for Moses, he's asking 
Pharaoh, when do you want me to entreat and implore the Lord to kill these frogs? To kill and destroy what you hold sacred. And Pharaoh, well, he goes on to say, you know, so that they'll be destroyed, they won't be in your houses, and that they'll remain in the river only. What's interesting here in a second, he's going to talk about the frogs will depart. Some of them are going to be killed, apparently, and some of them are going to go back to the, the river. And he says there in verse 9, you know, that, that they may remain in the river only. When do you want me to entreat for you that these be destroyed? And Pharaoh says, tomorrow. Now, you wonder, why did he not pray for them to be done today? I don't know that I know the I mean, I don't know anybody knows the answer to that. If there's such a pestilence, why don't, how about right now? I don't know. I could speculate, and it's just speculation. Maybe he's thinking, I've got to go plead to this goddess one more time. Hey, would you, would you control your sacred frogs and get them out of here so I don't have to end up submitting to the Lord. Maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe, maybe. He's going to go do a little repenting and sacrificing or whatever to this goddess and say, forgive me for what we're about to do here. I don't know. But he says tomorrow, and so uh, be it according to thy word. That's what Moses replies, says, okay, that's what's going to happen. And the reason that Moses does allow Pharaoh to choose the time according to this passage is so that Pharaoh that thou mayest know that there is none like unto the Lord our God somehow Pharaoh's choice of the time will show that you know Moses doesn't know what time that's going to be he Moses is not setting it up to to have a trick where he can get rid of the people but but Pharaoh you just decide and that's when it'll be done to show you that the Lord is capable of doing that well, the frogs shall depart from thee. They will leave. It's the same word that Pharaoh asked. Take them away. Depart. It's the same word. And, and Moses says, the frogs shall depart from thee and from thy houses and from thy servants and from thy people. They shall remain in the river only. And so he leaves. In verse 12, Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh and Moses cried unto the Lord because of the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. And um, the frogs died out of the houses and out of the villages and out of the fields. They gathered them together upon heaps and the land stank. What had been considered sacred God has made a pestilence and God has conquered and it's now a stench to everyone who worshipped those the goddess and worshipped those frogs now verse 14 uh, verse 15 but when Pharaoh saw that there was respite. When he saw there was a little space, there's a little breathing room, then he hardened his heart and hearkened not, listened not unto them as the Lord had said. The Lord said this was going to happen. And that's what happens. 
when you look at this passage, there are some truths that we can certainly believe. One is there is no God like our God. And he is fully capable of destroying any other God. And things that we might consider sacred, he is able to make a pestilence in our lives. He, or That's what he did with the Egyptians. He's able to do that. He's able to turn things that we think are sacred instead of him into a stench. Now, that doesn't mean that that's going to stink today, but at some point it's going to, it's going to be a real problem. What I think what grabbed me the most as I read this passage uh, just weeks ago and thinking about it and, and beginning to think that I'd like to prepare a sermon off of this was verse 15 about the respite. I don't know how many people have made promises to God, just get rid of this, change my situation, and I pledge any number of things. Um, I think about the people I was not around at that time, but December 7th, 1941, Pearl Harbor. Um, I wonder what people prayed, what they confessed to God, repentance. I know what they felt and said 9-11-2001 because I remember very much the gut-wrenching. It was like a punch in my stomach. I just remember that, just gnawing at me for several days. And I remember the prayers that came in church services the next few nights. Do you remember those things? Of people, I mean, on their knees in churches, confessing sin, repentance, making promises, expressing remorse, and pledging to serve the Lord. I doubt that very many people remember any of the words they said at that day. Now, I think recently, um, in our nation, you go back just a few months ago, we were being told that we were going to have a president and a Congress and a Supreme Court that promoted things very contrary to the Word of God. Am I right about that? Were you worried about that? Were you burdened about that? What prayers did you pray before the elections seeing that we've gone through a period of time that has not honored God, that has promoted immorality, boastfully doing so, and, and, and encouraging um, immoral behavior while saying that people who follow Christ will, will need to be driven out. You understand what I'm saying? The, the influence of Christian people, godly people, followers of Christ, that some were saying that needs to be stopped. And I think, and I'm not talking about one person, but we had, we had an election for president and we had an election for Congress and, and other things. And you could say that some might say we have dodged the proverbial bullet.
and might think, well, we've got a president now that's going to appoint conservative justices to the Supreme Court, so we're going to be okay. Listen, don't be like Pharaoh. And forget the pleas and the confessions and the repentance and pleas to God, knowing that we could be in such a bad situation. Don't look now and think, if you think this way, you may not, but if you think we've, we've kind of dodged a bullet, don't feel like you have breathing room and go back to a hardened heart or not listening to what God has commissioned us to do. Does this make sense, what I'm saying? And I think this, I'm just bringing this up because this is the current issue with us. But I just know how it was before the election where many evangelicals, many conservative believing Christians were very worried and made prayers and promises. And if you think those prayers were answered and if you feel like there is a respite right now, don't forget those promises. Now is the time that we must as much as ever listen to what God has commanded and commissioned us to do and be diligent about that business. Some of you have been in classes here. You've heard, you've been in preaching classes. You've heard an emphasis upon preaching the word. You've been in disciple making classes. You've heard an emphasis about making disciples in obedience to Christ's commission. And sometimes you're in classes and you hear things and you graduate or you, you, you get out of school and you're not required to do those things and you tend to forget the promises, the, the ideas you had in class thinking, yes, that's what I want to do in my ministry. Don't forget that. Don't let the respite, don't let the breathing room tempt you to follow the error of Pharaoh. Does that make sense? So that's our word for today. Let's stand and we'll be dismissed with a prayer. Father, thank you again for your blessings and thank you for your word. And I pray, Father, that we've looked at this accurately and seen from your word how you would have us to apply a truth and uh, to live. Father, help us. Know what you want to know, that you alone are God. I pray that other people will know that as well by your acts in the world. Father, help us never have things that are more precious to us that we actually make them divine. And, Lord, where you would have to make them pestilence to us. Lord, let us just love you as you'd have us to. Father, help us when we are in crisis to turn to you and the support of your people as Pharaoh did but, Father, help us not be like Pharaoh in the sense that we forget once you mercifully uh, work in our lives, provide us with grace, and show us your long-suffering nature. Father, help us and our nation, Lord, and believers around the world not to rest, but to seize the opportunity. Again, you've blessed us. You've showed how long-suffering you are. Father, help us to take advantage of it. Do the things you'd have us to do. For your honor, your glory, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.